the primary metric of success that we've been exposed to throughout our entire Christian existence is, are people showing up and are they staying? Whether that's your church or whether that's your small group, your success as a leader is based not on are they doing what they're learning. It's based on are they showing up and are they staying. But that's not the way that Jesus led. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple makers. I'm Paul Watson, and this is Beck Ewing, and you are listening to the CDM Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a part of the Discovery Bible Study that is often causes a lot of people a lot of struggle, and that specifically is the obedience portion of the study, or something that we will call an I will statement. An I will statement is a very, very simple tool added to your Discovery Study that can actually change everything and can be the difference between a group that multiplies and a group that doesn't. You know, this is a this little tool is used right after the question in a DBS that says, if we believe this passage is from God, how should we change? And we mm-hmm. added this tool in there, as we'll see for the need for the I will statement, that to be able to really focus in on specific acts of obedience to the things that people are seeing from, from God's word. So essentially, like I said, what is an I will statement? An I will statement is a very concrete, specific, actionable, small step to be able to take toward, uh, to, to make towards obeying uh, something that they have learned or seen inside of the passage and applying it directly to their lives. And so why do, why do we even need this I will statement? kind of thing. Right, right. Well, you know, the scriptures talk about that, and we were just, in fact, we were reading earlier today in John 14, it says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. Mm-hmm. And there's so many passages that point towards obedience as a way that we demonstrate our love for God. Now, I just want to be really clear. We're not saying that or promoting a works-based salvation where you can earn your way to heaven. We're not promoting legalism where we're obeying God's word in order to impress other people. We're just simply obeying God's word and saying, if you love me, right out of John 14 and 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And our call to other people is that you need to be obeying God's commands as well. And at first people start following them because they just kind of make sense. But eventually as they fall in love with Jesus, they start doing it because not because it makes sense, not because they'll have a moral or an easier life if they follow them, They follow them because they love God and they want to express their love for God. And so that's right there. And the reason we say I will is because we want it to be very concrete and very specific, something they could actually do and know that they did it and feel successful for it. Yes, the reason why we need this I will statement that doesn't become, you know, just so obvious, like, well, we're just going to do whatever the pastor said. Uh, well, doesn't the question ask, how should we change? Because we have a tendency to be too abstract mm-hmm. in the nature of our application. And I've seen this for years amongst Christian um, culture. 
where we become we we spend an hour discussing the historical background and the wonders of the insights that we saw in the scriptures and then either spend absolutely no time in the application or the application is something as vague you know as well then I guess we need to love each other more you know or something like that and it's like well why don't we get down into the nitty-gritty of what that looks like and we go and uh, we walk away from our Bible studies having not been transformed at all because we haven't actually taken the time and intention to apply the scripture very specifically to our lives. You know, this is one of the things I think we do intentionally, but also subconsciously. We know, we, we shy away from making specific statements because mm-hmm. we're worried we won't be able to follow through, or we had no intention of following through in the first place. Right. So if we make something abstract, then how am I supposed to know? If I really followed through with it anyway, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. There was a discovery Bible study or discovery group rather, uh, with three guys and they read the passage passage in Genesis where God created woman. Two of the guys made very vague statements. One of them was, I need to love God more. The other one was, well, I guess I need to go to church. A little bit more concrete than the first one, but still very, very vague. The third one looked right at the disciple maker with tears filling his eyes and said, I need to stop paying prostitutes to have sex with me because how could I pay someone created in the image of God to have sex with me and dishonor both them and God, their creator at the same time? You know, I kind of feel like that's almost like a reflection and a a way to the Good Samaritan in the sense of Mm. here's a couple of people that have been growing up in Christian, you know, maybe have been influenced by Christian culture and everything. But it was the guy that was completely not (laughs) influenced in any way by that, that was that is able to get, okay. How specifically does this change my life? And and that's actually what you, I believe you said that you've observed, Paul. It's it. You, we always tell people that it's harder to do DBSs with people who have been uh, culturally Christian in the past uh, or even in the present in some ways, you know, than it is to do it from completely unchurched, you know, uh, kind of people because they do that. They get very vague in how and their observations of Scripture. Well, and not only that, because we've we've been doing this for so long, we've lost the skill sets to meditate on a passage of scripture and really think through what it means. I actually spoke to a missionary yesterday, and we were talking about doing a discovery Bible study with some with one of their new co-workers, uh, someone who didn't know Jesus. They now work in a different place. And um, this guy was a former missionary, had been teaching the Bible for decades. And he looked right at me and said, well, you know, Paul, it's really hard to figure out how to obey anything from the first chapter of Genesis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it blew me away because immediately it brought to mind a story of a Muslim imam, a Muslim cleric, a religious leader who sat down and read God's word for the first time with a disciple with another disciple maker and it was the first time he'd ever opened God's word and he read it and he sat there and he meditated on the passage and then he says if i believe this passage is from God and i do then i need to stop beating my mule mm-hmm. and the disciple maker stopped and goes 
Could you help me understand where you found this in the passage? Because it doesn't say, thou shalt not beat thy mule. And he goes, this is simple. If all things are, are created by God, then all things belong to God. And when I beat my mule, I'm not beating my mule. I'm beating God's mule that he's entrusted me with. And I am chewing him great disrespect in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there it is. This Muslim man was able to come up the first time he'd ever opened a Bible with a concrete I will statement that it was, de- that was requiring him to change. And a missionary who'd been following God for decades, right. is looking right at me and saying, I don't know what to do with jo- with Genesis chapter 1. How in the world does that, that, does that influence my behavior? So that's why we have to have the I will statement because usually what you'll find when you, cut, when you talk to people, they'll either make an application that's too vague. You know, like we're saying, we need to love people more. I need to forgive people more. I need to, to re- trust God more. You know, these very vague or too big. So oh, it's yeah, almost that's like one people, I see all the time. It's almost like people choose to do these humongous or have these humongous, I'm going to pray three hours every day this week, you know, and, uh, okay. And so, it, and, and part of the reason why they do that is that, hey, if they don't actually accomplish it or do it, nobody's going to blame them. Yeah. Because Nobody it's too really big. thought they were going to be able to do it in the first place. And so they're like... Good job for trying. And the guy comes across as very spiritual, brave very amazing, it. very yeah. brave, and all of that. So imagine, it's like it's like basically saying and going to your girlfriend and saying, Hey, I'm going to post this flag with your name on it on the top of Mount Everest to declare my love eternally before the, lo- the world for you. You know what, Betty? All I really want to do is that maybe you can help me clean up my car this weekend. That's a, that's all I'm asking. Right? You know? Right? Because get this. If the guy goes to like even base camp of Everest, everyone's going to think he's amazing because how many people actually climb up to the top? But like you said, in reality, you just want somebody to help you clean your car out. Mm-hmm. You don't want somebody to go to the top of Everest or to write you a thousand sonnets. You want somebody there concrete, specific, actionable, in a way that makes sense, that makes a difference in your life right now. And that's it. Paul just listed the thing. So this is what we say all the time when we say that I will statements, they need to be concrete and specific. They need to be actionable. So in other words, it's something you can see that's happened. It's not just some, you know, unforeseeable action. And then this is a big one. We usually say, is this something that you can do within the next 24 hours? I sometimes also put it within the next week. So you don't want to give this undetermined time out there. You want to say over this next week, particularly you want, you know, it's small enough. Paul, you say this all the time. You know, it's small enough if they can do it within the next 24 hours. Now, I I sometimes allow people and say like the next week, because sometimes the next 24 hours, there's like 10 billion things happening and they can't get to it. Well, and sometimes maybe their their I will statement involves scheduling time right. to go see someone. And so they may make the first step in that 24 hours. I'm going to call my grandma and right. schedule a time to go see her. But they really won't actually get it done until probably within the next week. One of the things I do with my kids is I try to push them to very small, concrete things. And when we do a discovery Bible study around the dining room table, I go, hey, how would we, is it possible, how would we obey this or what would we do differently between now and the time we go to bed? 
So that makes it even shorter for them. And I'm trying to get to them, to be honest, I'm trying to get them to sit there and, and, and think about how scripture makes them interact with one another as a family and in regards to also their preparation to see the world, whether it's doing their chores or doing their homework or being kind to one another or calling a friend and inviting them over for a pancake breakfast, which we host at my house. Those kind of things are what I'm trying to get them to dive into. So once again, the idea is that it's a very short time frame. Even a week is short in in our day and age, a short time frame so they can commit to it so it doesn't get lost in the weeds of life. And that's what we're talking about. You know, so when we start talking about how to coach some uh, people into I will statements, this is a needed topic because I can tell Mm -hmm. you I have I have described so many times, you know, when it comes to I will statements and I say, okay, guys, let's be specific. Let you know, what are I wills? I will statements. And I have to always ending up coaching people into the I will statements because undoubtedly they always have that they start with the vague. So at the beginning, when you have somebody and you say, okay, what is what does this passage say about God? What does this passage say, say about man? If we believe this passage is from God, how should we change? And mm-hmm. so they come up with something and say, well, God wants me to be more forgiving. Okay, that's great. So let's create an I will statement. So I need to work on that. Okay. And usually what I say is, (laughs) so how can you specifically do that? Now, usually at this time, I'm saying sometimes it takes several layers of Mm -hmm. getting more and more specific until you finally get that actionable within the next 24 hours slash week kind of thing. You know, so probably the next thing that they'll say is, well, then I probably need to uh, uh, reach out to people that I have been estranged from. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Reach out to people that you've been estranged from. Do you know anyone specifically <laughs> that, uh, that is like that? And then, th- then th- that's usually where they start looking a little uncomfortable. It's right. around that point. It's like, oh, we're actually going to nail this down to something specific. And so that they'll be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm thinking of someone right now. It's like, okay, so what can you do spe- specifically to restore that relationship? And then they'll, and now you have to have the courage to pause That's and right. let them think, and they will, and and they and they may even seem like, um, um, um. You can reassure them. It's okay. Just think through it. What do you think? And they might, and they'll finally they'll come to something like, I guess I could reach out to them in text this week, and let them know that I care about them, and and see how they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. So can we make that your I will statement for the week? Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So see, so like I said, it usually takes several layers of digging out and saying more specific more specific let's name a person a time an action you know that type of thing and then eventually you'll get there yeah and you got to realize that this is not about holding someone's feet to the fire it's not about forcing them to do something because you are wanting to control their life what it is though it's about helping them be successful Mm mm-hmm 
It's helping them realize that they can do it and to come up with small things because way too many times in life, people read the Bible and they go, I can never do what's in there. And they're right. I mean, thank God for his grace, that kind of thing. However, they've started, they've just given up and they go, since I can never do it, I'm never going to try. And then they never experience the blessings of obedience in their life. So what we're trying to do is get them to take those specific things so that we can come out, out at them and go, hey, how did it go? And they go, I did it. The other thing that that does is it also gives us spiritual warfare because Satan comes and goes, you failure. You can't do that. But now if we've done a very concrete action item, we're going, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Last night I told God I was going to do this and I did it. I succeeded. What are you talking about? And, and okay. all of a sudden, because you're, you're, you're hitting him with the truth against his lies then you're more likely to be able to stand up to what he's going to throw at you. And that goes for you, and it goes with uh, the people who are learning about God as well. We're also helping them see, the second thing that, it, the other thing that it does is that it helps us to be able, them to see transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we, we mistake and say, uh, you know, there'll be people say, oh, I tried Christianity, didn't do anything for me, and yada, yada, yada. Well, that's because we're not teaching people to obey. We're teaching people that somehow more and more insight means that they're going to be transformed, but that's not how they're going to be transformed. They're going to be transformed by acting on the things that they're being taught. And so we're doing people a huge disservice, and there's a lot of healing that will not be done because we're not helping people actually apply the truth of their lives so they, they too can be transformed. Now, uh, the thing is, is when it really comes down to it, most of us don't want, as disciple makers, as, as people who are teachers and Christians, mm-hmm. don't want to do this because we're terrified of people walking away. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's because the primary metric of success that we've been exposed to throughout our entire Christian existence is, are people showing up and are they staying? Mm-hmm. Whether that's your church or whether that's your small group, your success as a leader is based not on are they doing what they're learning. It's based on are they showing up and are, and are they staying. But that's not the way that Jesus led. No, absolutely not. Because in the end, our metric of success, in other words, how we measure success, needs to be are we producing disciple makers? Are we actually seeing people mature and become disciples of Christ? Jesus was never afraid of people leaving leaving because they didn't want to obey or pay the cost of being a disciple. In fact, this is why he gave periodically calls to higher standards of behavior and discipleship. And because that was how he weeded out those that were really not sincere or serious about following God or Christ. You know, you would think that Jesus, when he had those crowds following him, be like, you got it, Jesus, you made it. You've got your huge following of people. And I mean, I can just imagine this being modern day. And then Jesus turns around and what does he turn around and say, yes, I've now got my following and I can kick back and be able to do my ministry. No, he turns around and basically his mind is, I know there's tons of people in here that really aren't here for the right reasons or they really don't believe. In fact, there are parts that says Jesus knew their hearts. And he turns around to those people usually at the times and he says something outrageous 
or something that would be like radical and calling people to be able to to mm -hmm. go to this to higher level. level. You know, yeah. who he was my disciple is going to have to give up their life. They're going to have to turn from their family. Blah, 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 blah. And then it says, you know, people, some people stayed, but a lot yeah. of people left. Yeah. The, you know, because they're like, well, I was just in the bread line or like, oh, well, I mean, if it's going to cost me that much, <laughs> well, never mind, you know, and, and most people would look at Jesus and go, what are you doing? What are like, you doing? Well, think about <laughs> the rich young ruler. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus looked right at this guy who is basically a very decent guy by all accounts, a very solid guy, he even says that Jesus loved him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Looked at him and loved him. But instead of saying, all right, come hang out with me, it's good. And understanding that well, this rich guy, me, but... well, understanding that this rich guy, as he was, would have been able to fund all of Jesus's ministry for forever, probably. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, if he had just accepted him as he is, as he wanted to be, mm -hmm. then Jesus would have been sitting pretty financially probably for the rest of the time. And in mm -hmm. our modern day and age, in nonprofits and in churches, my guess is we wouldn't have we wouldn't have chased the rich guy away. But what does Jesus do? Jesus looks right at him and says, then go sell everything you have and not give it to me. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler turned away because yeah. he had he was very wealthy and he walked away and it made Jesus sad inside. Yeah, but he was willing to. He was willing to make that statement to call because he's calling to for disciples. He's not calling for fo just mere followers like you know yeah. what we think of Instagram followers or something that's like right. that. Disciples and, and not converts. Right, exactly. And so that's why we have to. We need to be like that and not be afraid of us being able to make those calls of, of obedience and everything. And if someone turns away because they don't want to be able to take that step that God was leading them to take in the first place, then if we don't hold that line, we're not going to have disciples. We're just going to have people that, you know, very noncommittal. Oh, sure, I'll sprinkle a little Jesus on top of my food, you know, or something maybe. Maybe I might be interested in that. So right before, we're right up our break now. And, and the second half, Part two of this podcast, we're going to be talking about following up on the I will statement because it's mm -hmm. not enough just to make the I will statement. The next time you meet, you have to follow up on that I will statement to see how it went. And we're about basically what you know, we have, we've heard of accountability and it usually makes a lot of our hair stand on end. And, mm, and everything. So, yeah. So we're not talking about the traditional accountability, but we're going to be finding a positive problem solving, good way to be able to have accountability. We'll be talking about that the second half of this particular podcast. In order for you to hear this part two of this podcast, you'll need to become a Patreon supporter. Go on to our Patreon page and sign up to be a $5 a month supporter, and you can have access to all of our podcasts, both part ones and part twos, both currently and in the future if you continue on paying, and in the past. And so um, make sure you, you join us for the second half. 
And if you liked this first half of the podcast, then you do us a huge favor by liking it on iTunes or Podbean or wherever you ended up downloading it from and share it with a friend. And if you really, really liked it, leave us a review. Tell people you love it because those kind of reviews get people to stop their crazy lives and actually listen to something that might help them do something for the kingdom. And we could really, really love to hear from you and to hear what you think about the show until we'll come back after the break. Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.